welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 14th of June 2009, entitled Finding Forgiveness. And the Bible readings are taken from Psalm 32, verse 1, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Well, if you'd like to open your Bibles to two places this evening, if you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, hopefully most of you could quote that one without having to turn to it probably, and while you hold your finger there, turn back to Psalm chapter 32 and verse 1. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. First one verse from Psalm 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, we do thank you again, Lord, for this day that you've blessed us with. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that were ours this morning. Father, we thank you for the time this evening, Lord, that we've already had, Lord, and being able to join our hearts in worship and song and prayer and raising our voices to you. And we trust and pray, Lord, that you've been glorified and honored by what's taken place thus far. Now, Lord, through the preaching of your word, we pray, Lord, that you would help us. We pray that you would anoint, that you would speak. Lord, you know the needs here this evening. And Father, we all realize that if, Lord, if any need is to be met, it must be through you by your power. And Lord, we pray that you would do that this evening for us because of the need that we have. You know the hearts of each individual. May they be met through you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Of course, as we look into the Bible, as we look into God's Word, the Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness. Of course, it's only natural since we know that that is God's desire for everyone. It's not His will that any should perish. We know that the whole reason for Jesus Christ coming to this earth was to die in our place, to pay the debt for our sins. And we also know that the great task that He left us when he left to go back to glory was that we would proclaim that message, the message, the good news of forgiveness through Jesus Christ to everyone, everywhere. God gives us some very basic steps in his word concerning for forgiveness. It's interesting sometimes, you know, I guess that, uh, I don't know if you ever think about it, but uh, you know, where, where does the pastor come up with these sermons every week? Uh, they don't just grow on an apple tree or an orange tree that you just kind of pluck them off. Matter of fact, a lot of times it's amazing the different ways that God uses to speak to my heart, to show me the direction to go and whatnot. And during the week, I was looking at a couple of different things in a couple of different areas, and it was really Friday when he 
really laid this thought upon my heart. And ironically, it came through because of sitting, having to sit down and, and write a letter to somebody else that had asked some very, uh, I guess, very serious questions concerning this idea of forgiveness. And as, of course, as I said, and this short letter turned into about eight pages, I think. And, uh, and as I was writing that, you know, it's just the Lord just genuinely burdened my heart. Uh, that that was what that he wanted me to look at this evening. It's a simple message, but such a very, very important message. Matter of fact, Carl Menninger, who is a well-known psychiatrist, he once said that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, that 75% of them probably could walk out the door that day. If they could just be convinced that their sins were forgiven. Most of them are carrying this tremendous guilt of what they've done wrong. And you know, sometimes as Christians, we can really struggle with forgiveness because we look at ourselves and we keep seeing all of these mistakes, all of these failures and all these mess-ups. And of course, we begin to think we just don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve it anymore. We've, we've asked God too many times. You know, he's bound to get tired of us just coming and saying, I'm sorry, I messed up again. And you know, the truth is, it's absolutely correct. We don't deserve it. <laughs> we don't deserve it at all. But thank God that our forgiveness is not based on our own merit because none of us would ever be forgiven. You see this great verse that we often quote and just like so many, we just stop and pause sometimes and think. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. The cause of forgiveness is that little word grace. You see, the word saved there, for by grace are ye saved. It literally in the Greek, it carries with it the idea of to deliver or to protect. And that's precisely what we need. We need to be delivered or protected from the consequences of our sin. Most of us can quote Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death, death. So in Romans chapter 3, we find that we've all missed the mark. And in Romans 6, 23, we find out that the penalty, the price that has to be paid for that is nothing less than death itself. Now, the only way that we're going to be delivered or protected from that penalty is if our sins are forgiven, if they're no longer held against us. As long as that sin is being held against us to our account, then we are going to be required to pay the penalty. If we're forgiven of that sin, however, it's no longer held against us. <laughs> and therefore, the penalty is removed completely. Our forgiveness, our salvation, it comes by grace, not because we deserve to be forgiven in the first instance when we become a Christian and not because we deserve to be forgiven because we've been a Christian for so long and finally messed up one time. It has nothing to do 
with where we've been or what we've done, good or bad. It's simply God giving us what we don't deserve. Why would he want to do that? We heard the verse quoted from the pulpit this morning, for God so loved the world. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. Why? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love. That's why he shows us so much mercy. That's why he shows us so much grace. I read the story about a runaway daughter. It says that this girl was longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood where she'd been raised. Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home, having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin and a wood-burning stove. She dreamed of a better life in the city. So one morning she slipped away, of course, breaking her mother's heart. Of course, the mother, knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria hurriedly packed to, to go out and to find her daughter and find where she had gone. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures, photographs. She sat on the photograph booth and she closed the curtain and she spent all that she had on pictures of herself. With her purse full of these small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew that Christina had no way of earning any money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up and say she couldn't do it. And of course, she knew that when pride meets hunger, that a human be being will do things that they never thought was thinkable before. So knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with the reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. At each place, she left one of her pictures. Taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she just wrote a short note. Wasn't long before the money, the pictures, and everything ran out, and Maria had to go back home. The mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs, her face so tired looking, her brown eyes no longer dancing with youth but speaking of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her simple, secure pallet on the floor. Yet the village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. <clears throat> she looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room, removed that small photo, 
and written on the back, the simple words, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. And you know, as I read that, there's no way, there's nothing that can happen. I, I, I began to think, you know, that's, that's a story that grabs the heart, sure. And it gives us a slight insight to what grace is all about. But God's grace is so much bigger than anything that we can experience or know. We haven't let him down one time, but times over and over and over again. And yet, he says, doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've become. Please, just come home. And that's what the Lord says to each and every one of us. And that, my friend, is the cause of forgiveness. <clears throat> it doesn't lie in us. We can find it very, very, very hard sometimes to even accept forgiveness. But the truth is, we'll never deserve it. If we base it upon what we think we deserve and don't in our thing, we'll struggle with it forever. The cause of forgiveness lies totally in God and His love. It's solely because that His forgiveness comes by grace and grace alone. But you see, not only do I want to remind you of the cause of forgiveness this evening, but also the course to forgiveness. The cause is all in God. It's all in His grace. For by grace are you saved. But then those next two words gives us the course, the path, the way to get to it. He says, through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. The only access, the only path, the only course to forgiveness it's through faith. There is no other road that goes there. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, you must believe that he's there. And you must believe that he will keep his promise and that he will do what he says he'll do. You see, the question this evening is, do you believe that Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy, incarnate God, do you believe that he died on a cross for your sins? Do you believe this evening that the shedding of his blood was a sacrifice that was made not for him but for you? Do you believe that that blood sacrifice that he made there on Calvary, do you believe as God says that it was sufficient for the atonement not only of my sins and your sins but for the sins of the whole world, he says. It was sufficient. Do you believe when they had taken that life and they placed him in that grave, that the third day he rose victoriously, which was full evidence that death couldn't hold him and therefore it can't hold you. It was evidence that the sacrifice was accepted by God, else he would have remained dead. You see, God has promised 
He's promised that the gospel, which in its simplest terms is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, God has promised that that is sufficient to cover your sins. It's sufficient for your salvation for all of eternity. He's promised that if you will believe him, if you'll trust in the finished work of Christ, that he will forgive your sins, that he will give you life everlasting. The only course that will take you to God's forgiving grace is faith. Believing him. Believe with absolute confidence in God's word, in the finished work of Christ that he tells us about in his word. For by grace, God's grace, are you saved? Are you forgiven? Are you protected from the penalties of sin? Through faith, through believing him, that's the only way to get there. The cause of forgiveness, the course of forgiveness, and the credit for forgiveness. You know what? It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We can't even take credit. Oh, boy, I was able to work up and build up my faith to where I could believe better than you could or better than you could. He says, no, it's not of you. It's a gift that's given you from God. We can't take credit for it because even God is responsible for it. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, we've got, first of all, to hear something before we can choose to believe it or not believe it. The only place the truths of God are going to come from are from His Word. The world's not going to give them to you. God gave us His Word. The only way that we're going to understand the things of God is through the Spirit of God. Because it's simply beyond the wisdom of man. It's never going to make sense to man. It's never going to fit into the rationale of man. We don't have time this evening to turn and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 if you want to. God gave us his spirit so that we could understand his word that he gave us as a gift. What I'm trying to say is simply as possible, is that you don't even need to consider your worthiness when it comes to your forgiveness. It's not got anything to do with your worthiness. It's got everything to do with the worthiness of Jesus Christ. God forgives you because of his compassion for you. He loved you so much that he wanted you to be forgiven so much that he said in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God commendeth his love towards you in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We hadn't done anything. Christ did it all. You see, sometimes the problem is not so much in recognizing the sin but 
needing to realize and accept what God has done about that sin so that it could be forgiven. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Means that everything that was required of God was met through the sacrificial shedding of Christ's blood to atone for that sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, we sang about it earlier. Do we really stop? That's what was sufficient. That's what atoned for our sins. It says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Sometimes, sometimes we're trying too hard to do it ourselves. You're forgiven not because of what you do or deserve, but because of what Christ did already for you in your place. You must believe it. You must accept it. You see, we realize that the cause of forgiveness is God's grace. The course to forgiveness to get there is through faith in believing him. The credit for forgiveness is all his because there's nothing we can do anyway. But the claiming of forgiveness is something you must do that nobody can do for you. It's interesting, he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Notice the next words, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how does this forgiveness work? He says clearly that it's, it's not of works, that it's all God. We don't have any room to take any credit because of anything that we do. We don't deserve it. We can't do anything for it. So how can I receive it and know it for myself? It's because you must believe him and claim it for yourself. The steps in God's word are very straightforward. We've already seen that our, our faith, our belief is the only course that will take us to it. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't get to God any other way outside of that faith. We must believe and have faith that God is there, that the Bible is God's word, that if we seek him, he will reward us, that he will do what he says. See, creation will tell us that God exists, but it's only in his word that we can come to recognize our sin the consequences of sin, the requirements for dealing with that sin, 
Only in his word can we come to understand what Jesus did for us to make forgiveness possible. We find that the steps for dealing with sin are the same for everyone. If you're a sinner coming to Christ, your sin must be dealt with. If you're a Christian that's been saved for years, your sin must be dealt with in the same way. You see, the first step we find is that simple thing called conviction. Conviction. That's where we recognize our sin for what it is. You see, many times when many of you can look back, you can remember before you became a Christian and some of the ungodly things that you did and, and the lives that you lived and never felt anything bad about it. <laughs> Matter of fact, you might have just enjoyed it a lot in the flesh. But somewhere along the line, God turned on a light you begin to recognize sin for what it was. Jesus spoke these words when he was preparing his apostles for his crucifixion. In John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart... I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit, he comes and of course, first of all, convicts us as, as sinners, allows us to see our lost condition, allows us to see why we need to be saved, to see our need for Christ. But that same Holy Spirit, he takes up resonant within you then. You, you can't get away from him. You see, we need to realize there is nowhere that we can just kind of shut him away for a while. Wherever we go, we take him with us. Whatever we do, he's right there with us. The whole time, we find that the Bible says that he seals us until the day of redemption. He doesn't just come and go. <laughs> He's always there. And of course, we realize that as believers with God living within us, he's the one that convicts us of that sin. That same sin that you could have done the exact same thing as a non-Christian, maybe never felt anything about it. I mean, if it was bad enough, you might have had a little bit of conscience because everybody knows it's bad. <laughs> but that Holy Spirit is there to convict. Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When God moves in, that takes on a little different meaning for us. We begin to recognize that it's not really how I compare to those other so-called Christians. <laughs> We can look around and we can say, yeah, boy, look how so-and-so lives and look how so-and-so lives and look what I do and look how I do this. And we can begin to find somebody that we can compare ourselves to to help us feel a little bit better. All have sinned and come short of not the glory of Jack and Bill and Joe and Mary and everybody else out there, the glory of God. 
You see, that's the only one that really matters. How do you, your actions, your thoughts, how does it compare with God? Because that's the only one that really matters. We find that people take conviction for granted sometimes. For a lost person, the Bible says that God's Spirit will not always strive with man. Just because that the Holy Spirit is there to convict you and show you that you're a sinner that needs to be saved today, it doesn't mean that he'll be there tomorrow or next Sunday or the week after. It means he's there right now by the grace of God showing you something that you would not know yourself and giving you the answer of what needs to be done about it. And Christian, God is there convicting you because of the consequences of sin. You ever tried to kind of rationalize your sin, <laughs> weigh it up against all those much worse things that other people are doing? I've reminded you before. Remember that as we look around us, how many of us would have any trouble finding the heartache, the pain, the agony that this world holds? people that are suffering all the horrible things that go on in this world. And do we forget, not some of it, but all of it is a result of one sin. One sin, the sin of disobedience. <laughs> the sin of disobedience in the Garden of Israel. What is the consequences of one sin? What is the consequences of sin in our lives? It can be so far-reaching. Oh, yes, it'll destroy your joy. I'll guarantee you that if you're saved and you don't deal with that sin, you're going to be one miserable individual. <laughs> Matter of fact, sometimes it can begin to bear on you something that maybe we can begin to grasp why this psychiatrist said that 75% of those people would be out of the hospital if they could just be convinced their sin was forgiven. You say, preacher, you mean it can drive me around the bend? Well, yeah, <laughs> if you don't do something about it. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I think is the hardest to live with sometimes, at least for this preacher, <laughs> is not the consequences of my sin on me, but what's the consequences of my sin on those around me? What's the consequences of that sin on others? You see, I've shared with you before that, oh, we all sin every day. But I still carry a great burden for the fact that, you know, when I stepped away from the Lord, He never left me. But when I walked away from Him, when sin became the norm in my life again, those people that were around me, that my life influenced, you know, even to this day, even to this day when I see them out there without God. Some of them were in the opposite position. Some of them, you know, at the time they were walking with God and I wasn't. You know what? I'll never know how much the consequences of my sin had on them. I can't do anything about it. You know, God will forgive you for anything. Have any of you ever been injured before and maybe left some kind of a scar behind. <laughs> you know, God will forgive you. 
Sometimes there's consequences of our sin. You know, Brother Chris, you could go out and you could, you know, if they allowed guns over here, you could take a gun and shoot somebody and take their life away. And then maybe six months later, you come to realize how horrible that was. Maybe you get saved for the very first time in your life. I'm not saying that you're not, brother. <laughs> but you know, you could genuinely become a new creature in Christ and all your past, under the blood, forgotten, wiped away. That man's not going to get back up out of the grave just because you're forgiven. There's consequences to our sin a lot of times, folks. That's not an unforgiving God. That's consequences. I was sharing with somebody this past week, I forget now, and, and somebody a couple weeks back because the same thing come up. I even had somebody on the outreach yesterday, some, some, somebody that I'd never talked to before, and the question came up, talking about alcohol and Christians and should it be a part and whatnot. And I shared with them the verse out of Romans chapter 14, verse 21. I said, you know, I, I, I literally, and I'm not proud of it, I tried to be one of those Christians that just uh, kind of tried to convince myself as much as anybody else around me in my early manhood that I could handle my alcohol and still be a Christian at the same time. You know, I've met very few. They might have handled it one time and two times and three times. But I've met very few people that didn't at some point have a depressed down day when they didn't handle it so well. <laughs> I've seen the horrors that it's done to others. Now, I believe with all my heart that if you're willing to take God's word, you can find out that there is no way you can read God's word and you can think that there's anything good about strong drink. Yes, there's people in there drinking, but they had their bad consequences that came with it. You know what Romans 14, 21 says? It says, for it is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. <laughs> I said, you know, when God made that verse through the Holy Spirit alive in my heart, it didn't matter what else because I seen enough. I, didn't ha I could hardly close my eyes and recognize how horrible that it could be. Even if I was the strongest Christian that had ever lived, that I'd never, ever have a depressed day, that I'd never, ever have the possibility of, of drinking more than I should or anything, if there was one other person that couldn't handle it, that because of my influence and my testimony, that it was a stumbling block, that it was detrimental to them. How could I live with that? You know what? <laughs> the amazing thing is, folks, these choices that we make in life, and we all have to make them, it's not a question of some, so many times the things, the problem is, is that we're, we're always trying to hang on and think like it's giving something up. That's why your, your lost friends have trouble sometimes trying to make sense of you. They can't understand that you really did want to change your life, that you don't like the same things that they do and that the world does, that there's a difference, and that you've got something that's, that's far better. Conviction. Conviction can come in all kinds of ways, but thank God for conviction. Whether you're lost or whether you're a Christian, if God didn't show you your sin and the consequences of it, you'd never know it. But then there's something else. So you're convicted, so you realize that what you did was wrong. What next? It's a simple thing called repentance. Repentance. 
repentance. You see, conviction is when you recognize your sin for what it is. But repentance is where upon seeing that sin, you begin to agree and feel about it the same way God does. <laughs> we see our sins as God sees it. And you know what that makes you want to automatically do? It's not a question of any more of having to give something up that you enjoy so much. When you begin to see it as God sees it, you know what happens? You want to let go of it. You want to get away from it. You don't want anything to do with it. Repentance. We have to come and recognize it first. And we need to see it as God sees it. Letting go of sin, turning away from it. We find that because of our love for him, we don't want anything to do with it. Our love for him becomes greater than fulfilling the desires of my selfish flesh. You see, isn't that really what love is about? Love is about giving. Love is about making the other person happy. The truth is, when we begin to truly fall in love with God enough, then we find that we desire to make Him happy. We desire to do what will please Him. We turn from the sin and we turn to Christ. It's been described as a, a change of mind that leads to a change in action. Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus said, I am not, or I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <laughs> not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. You see, it's the sinners that are first convicted of their sin and recognize their sin. And then they have a changed mind that leads to a change in their actions about that sin. If Jesus came to save sinners and to forgive their sin. And it's a necessary part of that work to call them to repentance. You know, if you look throughout the Old Testament, through the spokesmen and prophets of God, they, they delivered a message of repentance to Israel. Turn away from your sin. Turn back to God. John the Baptist, in preparing the way for Christ in the New Testament, his was a message of repentance. Turn away from your sin. The apostles. You know, you can turn to the book of Acts and you can find the first two messages preached in the, in the New Testament church in the book of Acts that Peter preached and both of them were messages of repentance. Encouraging the people to let go, to turn away from their sins. Matter of fact, it's, it's in Scripture from beginning to end. Why? Because remember, if God loves you so much that he's done all that he's done for your forgiveness, I mean, you know, that ought to bring joy to our hearts. But the problem is, if we're going to get that forgiveness, we've got to go through the conviction. We've got to go through repentance. He's got to call us to repentance. We find that God's grace is, is beyond measure. It's, I mean, it's big enough to take care of any sin and all sin. But of course, we live in a day when, in, I guess, for lack of better words, 
There's too much cheap grace around. There's too much cheap grace. One writer, he must have been German or something. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace, he says, is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ of which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Someone confronted Martin Luther upon the reformer's discovery of the biblical doctrine of justification. And he asked him this question. He says, if this is true, a person could simply just live as he pleased. Indeed, said Luther. He looked him straight in the eyes. And he said, now, what pleases you? What pleases you? You see, that tells us a lot. Indeed. Indeed. It will allow you to live as you please. Just what it is, what is it that pleases you in your life that might tell us who we really are? I might ask you the question, what pleases you today? Your sin? The pleasures of the flesh? Or truly turning your back on that sin and those fleshly desires and being filled and controlled with the Spirit of God. Greek words for joy and grace are related. You know why? Because grace causes joy. In the Christian understanding, nothing brings joy like the good news of what God has done in Christ to bring us salvation. Salvation by grace is through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. God's grace also brings about qualities of conduct in the believer. The word grace came to us as a kind of prayer. Grace to you in Christian greetings at the beginning and end of most of the New Testament letters. You see, true repentance is necessary. We need to have a change of mind through repentance and not wanting to have anything to do with that sin anymore. Therefore, let go of it. Turn away from it. Turn our back on it. Turn to Christ instead. We turn to Christ. Remember, by the Holy Spirit, we've been convicted. After that conviction has come, we face repentance. We let go of it. We turn away from it. We turn from the sin. We turn to Christ. That's the third part of forgiveness. Just confession. <laughs> Confess our sin to God. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt what? Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He goes on to say, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth, confession 
is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall what call upon the Lord shall be saved. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, whether we're coming to God originally as a lost person to get that original forgiveness for our sins or whether as a child of God we come back to Him with the sins in our life, confession is necessary. We must confess to be saved. We must confess to have our sins forgiven. It always begins in the heart, but then it comes through the mouth. When we recognize and turn away from our sin, Believing in our heart, yes, that Jesus Christ died, that he rose again for our sins in full payment. We must confess and call upon the Lord for forgiveness. That comes from a believing heart and comes out through our lips. God, God has promised that he will cleanse, that he will forgive your sins. Remember, faith is the avenue to grace. Simple question, not hard. Do you believe that God will do what he promised or do you believe that he could break that promise? I ask you again, do you believe that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient for all your sins and everybody else's sins in all the world? that by his resurrection we know that it was accepted because if there had been one sin left, he would have remained dead, folks. It was sufficient. Kind of tough sometimes when the truth is you and me and everybody else are always going to find some new sins in our life, aren't we? <laughs> but you know, the simple steps that God gives us they're still, de still there. We can put them away. You know, unfortunately, in this life, not like some religions will believe, we'll never become little gods. But hopefully we can make progress day by day to be more like Him. Remember, not just you, we've all missed the mark. It's His glory that's the bullseye. No matter how well we aim, we'll always come up short. But that's how we grow. Once you turn from your sin and you confess it, it is under the blood. It's covered forever. It's wiped clean. Remember, in Ephesians 1.7, in whom, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have right now, present tense, as believers, redemption through the blood of Christ. What a tremendous verse. What a glorious promise that we can lay hold of and claim. Take God at his word. There's a whole lot of 
name it and claim it. A whole lot of people out there trying to get you to name and claim a whole lot of things that aren't in God's Word. But we need to claim His promises that are real. When you see sin in your life, which for most of us is pretty often, we need to deal with it in the way that God has prescribed. Once we've done that, then we can accept it because it's all on His merits. It's all done by Him. If we'll just let go of it, put it away, and turn to Him, confess it to Him. He's promised. He's promised He'll be there. It'll, take, it'll be taken care of. Sometimes, it's said to me, sometimes we look and don't see a whole lot of good things in ourselves. Can I encourage you? Don't look for the good things in yourself. Look for the good things in Jesus. <laughs> look for the good things in Jesus Christ. They're not hard to find. And remember that as a believer, God sees you in Christ rather than in yourself. He sees you in Christ. He actually sees not your goodness, but he sees the goodness of Christ if you are hid in him. You see, we need to be seeking not our goodness, but to let the goodness of Christ be seen in our lives. And of course, that can't be seen through the sin. He's the one that deserves all the glory anyway. We need to let them see how that it's him that they're seeing. Do you know that all the goodness that you can ever do It'll never save, not one person. But the goodness of Christ can save them for eternity, folks. Be so yielded to Him. Be so filled with His Spirit that He overshadows everything about you. If they can see enough of Him in you, then you'll just kind of disappear, which is really what we need. We can just kind of disappear into the background and they see Christ instead of us because we're always going to mess up and we're always going to have the weaknesses and the failings. But it's letting Christ have the bigger place in our lives. I wonder today, have you claimed the forgiveness that Christ has offered you? Are you claiming that if you're here this evening as a lost person, do you realize that you can have that forgiveness this evening? Right here before you leave, you can have it this evening. Christian, are you struggling with sin in your life? I'll tell you, it can get pretty heavy sometimes. And it begins to rob you of all your joy. It begins to separate you from that fellowship, that close, sweet fellowship that you need to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. God's promised. He will forgive you. And the truth is, it's got nothing to do with you. It's believing Him. When you recognize that sin, be willing to just let go of it, to put it away, and to turn to Christ and to confess it to Him and accept the forgiveness that's yours because of what He did for you. Each and every one of us. 
sometimes the things that feel uncomfortable are the things that help us and change our lives the most. You know, I can remember, I mean, I can remember some such glorious mountaintop experiences. I've experienced the presence of God in such a way that your body can hardly contain it. The joy. I mean, that's fantastic. But I want to tell you something this evening. As much as I enjoyed those, as I look back in my life, it's the times that I've been broken the most. <laughs> the times when I really liked the least about myself. The times that were bittersweet. <laughs> Those are the times that have helped me and changed me the most. <laughs> we can just push it aside. We can, folks. You realize there's not a person here tonight, lost or saved. There's not a person here tonight that Satan doesn't want to destroy. Lost person, he wants you forever. God's given you the opportunity to be saved tonight. Do it while you can. Christian, do you realize how much Satan wants to destroy you? Oh, yeah, he wants you miserable. He doesn't want you happy, that's for sure. He doesn't want you to have any kind of a testimony. He certainly doesn't want your life to have a positive effect on others. He doesn't want people to see Christ in you. He wants them to see your flesh. And he wants you to feed that flesh. This evening, we all make choices every day of our lives. I remind you this in closing. Being filled and controlled by the Spirit and the power of God. Christian, you don't need any more of God than you've got right now. But how much of you does he really have? Day by day, it's giving ourselves to him. Letting him control me this day and all that I am. Father, we thank you this evening, but Lord, as we've looked in this passage, that's a very familiar passage to us. We realize, Lord, that forgiveness is something that, Lord, you had your purpose in before even the foundation of the world. You planned it. Then, Lord, you created us in your own image. And, Lord, we realize that you already knew that we would fail you so miserably that sin would be a part of our lives. But Lord, you had a plan in place and you executed that plan. And every person here this evening has that opportunity to be able to, to find that forgiveness for themselves, to obtain it and to know it. For by grace are you saved through faith. Lord, you know the hearts of each one here this evening. I pray that you would speak to the hearts. If there are lost that need to be saved, if there's backsliders that need to be restored, if there's Christians, Lord, that just need to deal with some things in their life, I pray that you would do the work in the hearts that only you can, that you'd help us to be responsive in whatever ways we need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. There are many things that I could say about forgiveness tonight. 
But I simply want to leave you this, with this thought before that we sing our closing hymn, which says only trust him. Trust him. Many things I could say this evening. But what I want you to remember most is that your forgiveness this evening is not based on you. <laughs> the cause is God's grace. It's God's grace. The course, the path, the way for you to get there is through your faith. Believe Him. Believe Him. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's all to His credit. He says that even that faith is a gift of God. And of course, you can claim it this evening if you're willing. If he's placed that conviction in your soul, you're willing to repent this evening. You know, you can't get forgiveness and hold on to the sin at the same time. But if you're willing to repent of that sin, to turn from it and turn to Christ, confess it to him, he'll forgive you. It'll be under the blood. It'll be gone. You can have that joy that comes with his grace. You can know that joy in your heart that sin and Satan wants to take from you. As we stand and as we sing together, if you need to come to see me, if you need to pray, if you need someone to pray with you, then please do so as we sing this hymn together.